The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Totally unexpectedly. Thanks for not warning me, but one of my really great friends and his wife, JP and Jana, faithful Christians, you went through the perspectives course, right? And you guys were in Africa just a few months ago in Kenya. And uh, I, Jana, I just want to ask, did JP actually use a shovel to dig a well to provide drinking water for people? Yes or no? I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, gosh. No, it was a huge machine. <laughs> <laughs> I kidded him. That's, that's the, the brains, right? The brains of the operation. I joked with him that I, I, would not, I would not accept his Africa visit unless he found the working end of a shovel. And uh, I'm glad to know he had the brain working, though. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you for your service to the Lord. That's a real encouragement for you to be, be with me this morning. I know you joined me in, in my prayers for our friends, JP. Thank you. Well, I'm going to read the text of Scripture which is Mark uh, chapter, number, chapter number 6, and um, beginning in verse 45. I hope you have your Bibles open. Uh, we've got a little bit of work to do in the text, uh, but again, this morning, as I did last week, I want to preach a theological point that is being made for the text and for Mark's overall purpose in writing this wonderful gospel So Mark 6, beginning in verse 45, immediately he, that is Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where uh, while he dismissed the crowd and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all uh, saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Up on the screen is going to be a prayer, and I, uh, in my own prayer time each Sunday, this prayer uh, shows up. Um, I can't see it. Is it up there? Um, Oh, good, now I can kind of see it. I'm going to read it. Uh, oh, God, who makest us glad with the weekly remembrance of, thy, of the glorious resurrection of thy Son, our Lord, grant us this day such blessing through our worship of thee that in the days to come 
may be spent in thy favor through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Sunday is the day when we call into remembrance the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. And of course, uh, just a few Sundays away, Easter Sunday. But every Sunday, uh, we are to call ourselves to remember the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and texts like this and Mark 6 um, are a good reason why. They're a good reason why. Headwinds, uh, hardening of our hearts, people who are sick, people who are in need, needing to implore God and Christ on behalf of others. And, and in the midst of it all, without, uh, without a firm grasp on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we today would not be able to say with any level of confidence what Jesus said to his disciples, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The news report suggests that of the million or so refugees that have fled Ukraine, 80 to 90 percent are women and children. Can you imagine your life being disrupted? And how do we say with any credibility to people, take heart, do not be afraid, unless that prayer is true that we come together gladly with the weekly remembrance of the glorious resurrection of thy Son, our Lord. So as I bring us to the end of Mark chapter number 6, I need to ask once again the question I have been asking, are you clear on who Jesus Christ is? Are you clear on who Jesus Christ is? This has been the primary point Mark has been making thus far in his gospel. It's been my joy, I hope you felt that joy as well, to join Mark's effort. Mark wants us to be crystal clear on the identity of Jesus Christ. He has presented the evidence for us that Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. This means that Jesus was not just some nice guy, went around doing nice things for people, you know, digging wells or some such thing. Uh, and then kind of at the end of his life was misunderstood, killed. We get to share in his memory of his good stuff, the good parts of his life. Mark has not presented Jesus by telling us that Jesus came to start a religion, a new religion of some kind. He's not asking us to join his religion. Mark has presented evidence that Jesus is God in the flesh, and he is to be received in our lives by faith. For faith comes by hearing the very hearing of the word of Christ. Which means that as we turn from our sins and we turn to Jesus, we receive what the Bible calls salvation. <laughs> salvation. We turn from our sins, we turn to Jesus, we are saved. We experience in the most personal way, the very purpose for why Jesus came to earth, when Jesus himself said, I did not come to call the righteous. Who did Jesus come to call? 
And we all qualify. We all qualify. You know my story. I know your story. God knows our story. Jesus has come to call us sinners. This is why I kept repeating last week that the grace of God has appeared. And when it has appeared, it has brought salvation. And this is such great news because are we not in desperate need of God's salvation? Once, yes, in, in, a, in, a, in a way in which I, I repent and I receive and I'm passing now from death into life and I have Christ as my Savior, but do you not need God's salvation every day? Do you not need God stepping into your life daily and bringing his salvation? The salvation pro project of humans, of which there are many, always end in disappointment. They always end in disappointment. And yet, we humans continue to try to create our own salvation. Our little ingenuity. We're going to work up a new scheme of some kind to save us out of our misery. New relationship, new job, more money. New experience, I mean, experience is at the top now of all the gods that people need. Oh, i got to have that experience. And which every new thing that has been tried throughout the, the, the span of the human race, disappointment follows. The, la the latest fad or trend. I said to the St. James group this morning, see, I wonder, like back in the, 50s and 60s, I forget when, when the hula hoop was developed, but, you know, I wonder if people thought, oh, that's it, finally, salvation has come, you know, I get swinging my hips, going to work off some of that, you know, excess hip stuff, and I'll be saved, you know, and the hula hoop's like, no, not going to work, you know, I mean, just think, it, that sounds silly, it is silly, right, but is it any, any more or less silly than the salvation projects humans continue to come up with, just more expensive this today, right, than a hula hoop. You can still get one for a couple bucks probably, you know, or go visit a hoarder in our congregation. They got three or four in their attic, you know. <laughs> you can just get one. Save some money, you know. This is what we do. This is, this is what humanity does. These things will not save. Salvation must come from outside of us. It must come to us. We need the salvation that God has brought to us in Jesus Christ a salvation that the Apostle Paul tells us came through Jesus to us by faith in Jesus alone. By faith in Jesus alone. And the text I read presents this in such vivid ways. Headwinds, fears, astonishment, lack of understanding, hardness of heart. I mean, you would think, right, at this point, the disciples would have figured it out, but they haven't. And, and, and don't miss Mark's point as he goes from the darkness and the fourth watch of the night and the astonishment of the disciples and their fear and their terror and, and their hardness. They don't understand who Jesus is, what's going on. And then he takes us to the daytime when Jesus gets out of the boat in verse 54. And it says the people immediately what? What did they immediately see? What did they do? What does it say? Recognized him. They immediately recognized him. This is the author's way of telling us something. 
There will be times in the darkness of night when we have rode and rode and rode and rode against the headwinds of whatever we are facing and we lose sight of Jesus. We don't know who he is. Hardening of heart. We, we, we get afraid and anxious and worried. But then Mark tells us it is still possible to come into the light and immediately recognize him. And, and when that happens, what does Jesus do? He takes action. He takes action in the midst of our darkness and fear and worry. When? Knock it off. we got to get to the other side. Or people now touching the hem of his garment and they're being healed. And, and there, there are two wonderful things here that we, we just need to take a moment here to note. You know, one, it... it I, I think it's interesting. I think it's intriguing. I wish I knew the answer. I, I read and asked. I don't know the answer. What does it mean that Jesus is up on the mountain praying? He sees his disciples making headway painfully, verse 48, because the wind's against them. And then he comes walking on the water, and he means to pass them by. Well, what does that mean? Like you saw him, you know what's going on. What are you doing, Jesus? Well, you're going to pass him by, you know? I don't know. But that's not the point of the text. The point of the text isn't for me to get involved in the marginal things here. Well, I got to dig in and figure that out. The point of the text is says, do you know who Jesus is? In the midst of darkness and hardship and headwinds, do you know who Jesus is? And then when, when, when the light comes and you see him and you recognize him, are you by faith coming to him, imploring him? And then the last verse of the passage is just so beautiful uh, when, when it says that, you know, they're laying the sick in the marketplace, imploring that, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. Who does that sound like that we, we learned about just a few weeks ago? Right? The woman with the, the, the disease for 12 years and, and what she's saying in her mind, she says, oh, maybe if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she was. Word must have gotten out. People must have heard like, hey, you know what? Just go up and grab the garment. And what does it say? As many as touched, they were made well. This is Jesus. This is the grace of God being poured out through the spirit-filled ministry of Jesus. And I pray that the Spirit of God is showing you right now in your own life that you are seeing with increasing clarity that God's grace is for you. As God's grace is for me because I need it. I pray that we may have a, an awakening to grace that is poured out embodied in the person and the work of Jesus. And, and as I said last week, Grace only appears four times in the gospel accounts. And you've got to use the King James Version to find that fourth one. Only four times. But you know what word does show up over and again? It's the word mercy. It's the word mercy. Grace is the embodiment of God in Christ made available for us but mercy is the disposition of God towards us. 
Don't you find it a good thing when you are in need of help that somebody is predisposed to help you? A kind act, a generous thing. Someone feels compassion towards you and then, and then acts, pours out grace. This is the relationship between grace and mercy. Grace poured out in Christ, the embodiment of God's grace, fullness of God and bodily form. But he comes sent by mercy because God is predisposed to take care of us in our need, whether we are rowing against the headwind or we have sickness and grief and sorrow and pain and difficulty. God's predisposition towards us is to help us. Over and over and over and over again in the Gospels, it is presented that way. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of mercy. And so when we consider this and we look at the way that God interacts with us and we see these people in need, whether it's the disciples or it's the sick people, all of these people need grace. But the question is, will God send Jesus into their lives? And yes, he does, because God is a God of great mercy which gives us hope today. That God is predisposed to love us, that God's love has been magnified towards us. And so it is these three threads of truth that I need to put together for us. And the first is, as we preached last week, that Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace. The second is that he was sent to us uh, from a loving and merciful God. And then the third thread that we need to blend together here is that our response to God for the great gift of grace poured out, flowing forth from his mercy, is to repent. That is, turn aside from our human you know, salvation projects and believe the gospel. Believe that God really has done those first two things for you, for me, for us, for the world in which we live. When Alice read the text from Micah, I, I, I hope your heart picked up a beat. That is the glorious future that awaits us. That God has in store for his people. But then I hope you, you keenly listened when she read from 2 Peter. And Peter says, what you're reading here, these are not cleverly devised tales. The skeptic will say, well, nobody can walk on the water. If you want to believe that, like, you know, you're part of the moron brigade. Like, nobody believes that people walk on the water. That's, that's the modern age. What's wrong with you? Now, you can believe that he did it philosophically. You, you can believe that he, he kind of, you know, did it in their mind. That they were just kind of seeing something. That's what the skeptic says. That's, that's a message of hopelessness. That's a human salvation project that will never work. But if God incarnate in Christ walks on the water and stills the wind and gets into the boat and says to you, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now you got hope. You got something to latch on to, right? Something to hang on to. 
Last week and again today, I referenced what Paul wrote to his protege Titus there in the grace of God has appeared. It's brought salvation. But if you have your, your Bibles open, you should go back with me to Titus, this time chapter number 3, because I want you to see what else Paul wrote. In verse number 4 of chapter 3 of Titus, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own what? Mercy. Mercy. This mercy then comes by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace... We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, there it is. This is what God has done for us in Christ. He saved us. Salvation must come from outside of us and to us from God in Christ. But notice what Paul writes next in verse 8. How does he describe this saying? What does it say? trustworthy bank on it bank on it it's not a wager it's not well, you know geez i hope it works out no it's a trustworthy statement that paul has made so when we when we go back to mark 6 and we look at this text and we don't get caught up in kind of the marginal things but we ask ourselves is it possible that a salvation can come to us wherein a Savior actually would say to us, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, and do so in spite of the hardness of our own hearts, but then in the really good times we keep going to Him and saying, God, we still need help, we're still in need of Your assistance, we implore Him for His help that He actually will help us. That is a trustworthy statement regardless of what the world might say to us about what we believe concerning Jesus Christ. This is how God's grace was richly poured out to us through Christ so that God might himself save us. And it is reassuring to know that in time of trial and hardship, that Jesus will come to us and speak words of comfort, that Jesus will say, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Marilyn Desain, our dear sister in Christ, has been given a suggested end date for her life here on earth. The assumption is by the doctors that the cancer will overtake her body, and that perhaps by the end of the summer, she will leave this earth and be translated into the glorious presence of her God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without a real hope rooted in Jesus, I have nothing to say to Marilyn except eat, drink, and be merry. You're going to die soon. Just live it up best you can. But with the hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can look at her 
and I can say, Jesus is in your boat. Take heart. It's Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The movement of this passage, beginning with verse number 45, as Jesus takes leave of his disciples, he dismisses the crowd after they were all fed. And where does Jesus go? He goes up on the mountain, and he goes there to pray. And then he descends into the darkness of the night. And then he moves back out to the light where he is healing and helping people. This will be the movement between Palm Sunday and Easter. This is the movement of the gospel. This is the movement of the incarnate Jesus who leaves heaven's glories to come to earth. He moves from the mountain of prayer and he descends and then we see him not too long from now climbing up another mountain, right? Alone on this mountain, he enters then into the city of Jerusalem, but then he's driven out of the city of Jerusalem and he ascends a mountain, the mount we call Calvary, Golgotha. And there he is going to face more than a headwind. The aloneness on the mountain of prayer becomes the forsakenness on the mountain of suffering. As Jesus is mocked and ridiculed, You see, the movement of the text points us to a greater reality of what God is doing as grace has been poured out upon us. As God sends Jesus to bring grace, his disposition towards us is mercy. As we think about Jesus suffering on Golgotha's hill, we know that he is not being comforted. Instead, he is bearing the full weight of our sin. Why? so that through his suffering, our sins would be forgiven. That through his suffering, the power of sin and death would be overcome, and that the winds of shame and guilt that beat against us, that continue to bring doubt into our lives, will be be done away with because of the power of God's salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. That, That is an utterly astounding thing to say by the way that is an utterly astounding thing to say i mean why would i say that it is through the god forsakenness of jesus that jesus has to die a brutal death by crucifixion why would i say that is the way that is the means to salvation I mean, to, to like modern sensibilities it sounds utterly abhorrent To say that, you know, somebody else has to suffer to free me. The modern sensibilities say you dug your own ditch, get yourself out of it. Good luck. But mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardoning there was multiplied to me at Calvary. And those are beautiful words that the hymn writer writes rooted in what Jesus is doing. Rooted in what Mark is showing us from this text. That Jesus is willing to go from the mountain of prayer down into the sea of suffering. But then he doesn't leave us there, does he? He brings us up out of the 
darkness and into the light for healing and help and restoration and deliverance is found then in the light. The light of what? Well, the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hope of sick people who run to Jesus points us to a brighter and more glorious light when we come to the crucified, now risen Christ. And it is in the power then of his resurrection we find the hope for our future healing. And so never forget, not everyone was healed that walked on the face of the earth during the time of Jesus. But by faith in Jesus one day, everyone will be healed. Every relationship healed. Every emotional sickness healed. Every physical sickness healed. Every grief, every sorrow, every weight, every sin you cannot overcome will be overcome in the great day of resurrection. When we are translated fully from the kingdom of this earth into the kingdom of God's glorious kingdom. Plowshares will be Right? No longer beaten into uh, swords. Death and destruction will be gone. Are you facing a headwind today? Dark in your life today? Have some hardening of the heart? Not trusting God fully, doubting if He loves you, cares about you. Boy, I face that all the time. I scratch my head. I think Jesus just kept on walking by me. <laughs> like, like, oh, I thought He was going to stop and get in my boat, but no, there He goes. <laughs> like, what's going on? What's going on? Do you have some fear? Anxiety starting to cripple you? Confusion? Doubts that assail? Opposition without, opposition within? Hardship pressing in? What is our response going to be to those things? I would only take you back to what Paul said. It's a trustworthy statement. Take you back to what Jesus said. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. So, so what is it that keeps people then from receiving God's salvation? What is it that is keeping you from receiving God's salvation? Why is there a lack of repentance? A lack of full faith, accepting, receiving. Why are we so unwilling to turn from self-salvation and embrace God's salvation poured out from a God of mercy who is so predisposed to love us? I would only say again that Mark has made the argument for us He's presented the evidence to us. He has shown us the kindness and goodness of God for people like us, people in need. We are not left to decide for ourselves. Jesus, the King of glory, the fullness of deity in bodily form, has commanded you and I to repent and to believe the gospel. He has commanded us to turn 
from our own self-salvation and to turn fully towards His salvation. Do you believe Jesus is walking towards us today on life's wild, restless sea? Are you hearing His sweet voice calling? Come, come, follow me. If so, if so, follow Him. Follow Him. Say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. For it is Jesus who said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Father, we thank you uh, for your word to us today. We ask that it would have made some sense to us in a way that might then speak powerfully into our lives to bring some transformation and help where we need your help so desperately, Lord. And as we prepare ourselves for this table, which is a table that invites us into the grace and mercy of God, Let us confess every sin. Let us ask you to remove doubt and fear and worry so that we might come to this table ready to receive the help that it offers. Take a few moments. Work on your own heart. And by God's help, be ready to receive his table. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.